Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 151 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. This is TNC 151 for the week of December 15th. And before we get into news and notes, I wanted to give a quick shout out to two new Patreon supporters of MOB, Fernando and Bradley D. Williams. Guys, thank you so, so much. We appreciate all the love and support. Wanted to give everybody else your fee for this week. Uh, as you know, I do not charge a monetary fee for the neutral corner, but I do ask those of you who would like to contribute and tip the show, please go over to patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing. If you want to rep the MOB brand, you can uh, email me to inquire about an MOBT. It's Montero Unboxing at Gmail. But for the rest of you, Non-monetary fee, it changes every week. And what I want this week from you guys is to blow up this episode of TNC. So TNC 151, I'd like you guys to tweet it out, post it on your Facebook pages, post it in your, your boxing chat rooms that you go to and chat with your other fight freaks. You know, please just get this episode out there. That's what I would like from you guys this week. And once again, thank you to, to, um, to Fernando and Bradley for contributing over at Patreon. All right, guys, let's get into news and notes. We got a lot to cover this week. So this week um, in boxing, as in life, we have a mixture of good news and, and some sad news as well. Uh, former WBC super middleweight champion Marcus Baer died at the age of 47 last week. It was an undisclosed illness. I, I don't know what exactly it was. Really could have been anything, but uh, very, very young to go. So uh, sad news for uh, Bear and his family. Some good news for Roman Gonzalez. You know, he was supposed to fight in Los Angeles last week, but he had an injury to his right knee. He had surgery in Costa Rica, got that repaired. Apparently everything went well and he should be back in the ring next year. Uh, possible upcoming fights. There's a rumor, there's negotiations between Terrence Crawford and Amir Khan. I believe it's a $5 million offer to Amir Khan, who you know always goes for the money and loves taking big challenges. So maybe he'll take this fight. I don't know, but man, if he does, you know, all things considered with the size, you know, Khan has, has struggled, you know. I mean, we all remember when he fought uh, Canelo at Canelo weight and was almost decapitated. He's been stopped, but at 147, he's always been fairly solid. Yeah, he's been stopped. You know, but uh, remember, Crawford started as a lightweight. So all things considered, I don't hate that matchup. Anyway, that's possible for next March 23rd at Madison Square Garden in New York. <clears throat> we'll see what happens. And apparently the WBC is, I, I don't know if they've ruled on it yet, but they're going to rule for a direct rematch between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. So I don't know if that ruling has come down quite yet. But I imagine when it does, they're going to call for an immediate rematch. I really, really hope they do. I give the WBC a lot of shit. Well-deserved, you know, including Alejandro Rochin, who scored that WBC title fight. He scored a title fight one week later after turning in that horrible scorecard uh, between Wilder and Fury. That's not necessarily on the WBC as much as it is on the California State Athletic Commission for allowing Rochin to work again a week later after turning in such a shitty scorecard, but the WBC could have held Rochin responsible. Anyway, anyway, look, I give them a lot of shit, but if they actually 
get this right and call for an immediate rematch between Wilder and Fury, that's a good ruling. And that would be a case of the WBC doing some real good in something positive for the sport. We'll see what happens there. All right, some stupid news. Boxers behaving badly. Demetrius Andrade, who currently has a middleweight title, was arrested in Providence for, uh, I guess he was carrying a handgun without a permit. And when asked about the police, why he has a handgun, what's going on, he said that he needs it due to, quote-unquote, fame and wealth. Well, fame and wealth, those are both relative terms. I definitely think that it's, it's clear Andrade has more money than 99% of us. So you can consider that wealth, I guess. He probably has more fame than most of us, more Twitter followers and stuff. But, you know, considering, you know, taking fame and wealth and looking looking at it globally and, and, and just in the sport of boxing, uh, I don't know. I don't know about this whole fame and wealth thing. Either way, if you really need a gun because of your fame and wealth and you're worried about people that are going to try to rob you or something, get a damn permit. It, it's easy as hell. It is so easy. I think it's too easy to get a, a permit to have a gun in this country. And if you can make a case for fame and wealth, which Andre could in terms, you know, in Providence, Rhode Island, he, he might be one of the most famous people in Rhode Island, uh, to, to get a handgun. So it wouldn't have been hard to get a permit. But to illegally carry a gun on you, you're just a moron. It's just such a stupid stupid move when you don't have to do it. It shows a stupid mentality. You know, you, you think of how much time Andre has spent on some of his uh, wardrobes to some of the press conferences and stuff where he showed up looking like a freaking pirate. He spent more time doing his hair than, he, than he, you know, if he would have just reallocated some of that time that he spends making his hair look pretty to get a damn permit, he could have saved himself some hassle here. Whatever. Uh, so anyway, I don't expect him to get stripped of his title or anything like that. He's going to get a slap on the wrist, pay a fine, and he should be okay. Hopefully he gets a permit and cleans that shit up. Uh, one other note here about the World Boxing Super Series. So um, a reporter last week kind of kind of put out this mysterious kind of report that, you know, sources were saying there's financial issues with the World Boxing Super Series. I haven't heard anything uh, any confirmation or anything substantial that really makes me that worried. Apparently all the purses for the fighters have been paid. It's some of the bonuses that haven't been paid. And some of the funding, some of the, you know, like investment funding, upfront funding for future events hasn't come through yet from some of the investors. Now, this is a common thing in boxing. If you're a promoter, it's a pain in the ass when you're dealing, especially when you're doing cards overseas and you're not putting up all the money yourself. It's very, very common. So, guys, I wouldn't freak out right now. From, from all accounts that I've heard, the World Boxing Super Series has been largely successful. I know season one you know, went off very, very well, and season two got off to a good start. So, I'm hoping that this has more to do with fourth quarter, year-end accounting issues and that kind of stuff, and it can get cleared up in early 2019. I wouldn't get too worried about this yet, okay? Until we start getting some actual facts, figures, some data, and the actual promoters and people involved in the World Boxing Super Series start talking about it. And if they have and I've missed out on this stuff, guys, give me some links because maybe I just missed out on this. But nobody I've talked to that I really, really trust uh, is that worried yet about, about it. So, so let's just all chill out. 
As far as we know so far, World Boxing Super Series is going to go forward into 2019 as scheduled. Okay, so that's it for news and notes this week. Let's get into the review of what we saw in the ring last week. Friday, December 7th, there was a Telemundo card from Mexico City. And Antonio Moran scored a TKO2 win over Victor Alejandro Zuniga. It was a 10-round main event. And there was a Mayweather Promotions card in Las Vegas. There was no TV to this. And Ronald Gavril, remember him, he fought uh, David Benavidez twice. He, he looked pretty good in the first fight. Benavidez made adjustments and beat him pretty clearly in the second fight. But uh, he scored a TKO2 win on that card. So uh, that's really it for Friday. It was a pretty slow Friday. Saturday, December 8th, though, there was a lot going on. Uh, in Sheffield, Yorkshire, UK, there was a matchroom boxing card. And... Uh, Former, let's see, 2016 Olympian Josh Kelly was supposed to fight his biggest step-up fight to date against David Avanesian, but he uh, got sick. He got too sick to where I think it was affecting him making weight and everything else. And so uh, this fight has not been canceled. It's just been postponed. They're going to reschedule that fight. So you're still going to see Kelly fight Avanesian, which I think is a really good matchup to see where Kelly is at but they want to postpone that. It should happen early next year. Uh, Anthony Fowler, another 2016 Olympian, he fought and he scored a KO1 win, improved to 9-0. He is a 154-pound prospect out of the UK. And Kid Galahad, who is one of the, the better prospects out of the UK, he has a U, uh, unanimous decision win in an eight-rounder. <clears throat> in the main event, Kel Brook scores a decision over Michael Zarafa who is a bigger, naturally bigger man, uh, a little younger. So I uh, had some physical advantages against Brooke. And I think a lot of people were surprised that this went the distance because a lot of people know Zarafa is being KO'd by Peter Quillen back in 2015. But that also, remember, that was a middleweight fight and Quillen was the much bigger, stronger guy in that fight. This was at 154 pounds. I'm not at all surprised this went the distance. Um, Brooke is 2-0 two, two oh since uh, his fights with Spence and Triple G. I think he fought Triple G in 2016, Spence last year, 2017. This year he's 2-0. Oh. In his first comeback fight, he scored a stoppage, but he fought a cab driver. He stepped up a little here to a world-ranked guy who's been in with some real fighters, and it went the distance. Not at all surprising, man. Not at all surprising. You know, uh, Brooks struggled at moments. You know, didn't look great in this fight. But that's where he is. Th those fights with Triple G and Spence destroyed him. He's at his best weight. I always thought that he was absolutely killing himself to make 147. He was not a real welterweight. And I think he did damage to his body fighting at welterweight for so long. Obviously, he wasn't a middleweight. He didn't belong in the ring with Triple G. But junior middleweight, 154, that's his true natural weight, and he belongs there. Can he get a high-profile fight in that weight class against an Amir, <clears throat> Amir Khan? I don't know. That remains to be seen. I would have to think because he's aligned with Eddie Hearn, at some point he's going to be in for a big-money, high-profile fight at 154. Until then, just keep stacking up Ws, baby, and that's what he did on Saturday. Now, here in uh, in the U.S. of A, there's a Golden Boy Promotions card at the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. And in the main event, Rene Alvarado out of Nicaragua 
scores a unanimous decision in a 12-rounder against Carlos Morales out of Mexico. Or I'm sorry, that was actually a 10-rounder at 130 pounds. <clears throat> Rene Alvarado is one of those guys that is a tough night uh, at the office for anybody. And he, you know, against the elite level, he's going to lose. But he gives guys a tough night at the office. And he's one of those fringe contender level guys that you just need in boxing. You need these kinds of guys. You know, I, I look at Alvarado's resume. He has law. These are all losses, but he's fought Jazriel Corrales, Rocky Juarez, uh, Joseph Diaz, Jason Velez, Yuriokas Gamboa. Those are all good fighters. You know what I'm saying? And, and he's fought those guys and gone the distance. Uh, he's six and zero since his last loss, which was to Gamboa, but against lower level opposition. You're kind of that second tier level opposition. But Rene Alvarado, again, he's one of those guys that, you know, as Golden Boy has new prospects coming along and that they're trying to build into contenders around that weight class in and around 130 pounds, Alvarado is one of those guys that they're going to continue to work with. And you just need fighters like that in boxing, just a hardworking, grizzled veteran fighter that gives everybody a tough night at the office. Uh, let's go to New York. Actually, you know what? Let's start. Let's stay on the on the West Coast. Let's stay in Los Angeles. Um, we're at the StubHub Center. 360 Promotions uh, had a card, a triple header on HBO, and this was HBO Championship Boxing's last hurrah. And instead of going out with a big roar, they went out with a whimper. Now I did. I posted a video uh, yesterday, and I, I tried to post it Sunday morning. And it posted, and I was just giving my uh, my thoughts about you know what we saw last weekend, just some immediate thoughts on HBO boxing and everything. I posted it in the morning. I you know usually when I post videos, I go through and I once it's posted on YouTube, I just try to watch it real 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 quick and make sure that uh, it loaded, that the audio works, and everything's okay. And I watched it, and then you know I went to the house and started doing drywalling and working on my house. And throughout the day, I got a bunch of tweets from you guys and messages saying, hey, man, something's up with your video. It won't play. So I didn't get home till last night. And then I check YouTube and somehow, for some reason, the video had been made private. And I had, I had tagged the video, added a description, you know, added Twitter information and all that. All that was deleted. So there was some weird issue with YouTube yesterday, but I fixed it. The video's back up there now. It's only got about a thousand views as I'm recording TNC here. It should have thousands if it would have posted when I wanted it to. But uh, check that out, guys, because that was just some immediate thoughts. It was just a rant video I did sitting at my kitchen table um, talking about the HBO card and just the symbolism because the two big cards last Saturday here in America, there was one in LA, one in New York. And there was just a lot of symbolism because of the differences you saw in the two cards. Uh, I'll talk about the New York one in a minute. But in L.A., uh, you had two female fights. Cecilia Brekus scores a unanimous decision in a 10-rounder over, over Alexandra Lopes. Uh, her unified welterweight championship once again defends it. Clarissa Shields, who opened the triple header, just fought in November, fought again against Femke Hermans, who did not belong in the ring with her but hung tough. Uh, defended her unified WBA, WBC middleweight titles. And I got to say, Shields looked improved in this fight. She's been working with John David Jackson. And what I saw from Shields before was she kind of Venus williams herself to victory in a lot of the uh, the fights that she had. And when I say that, I, 
you know, just to make a, a tennis reference here, Venus Williams is an absolute monster as far as how she's built. She's more muscular and more built than most men her size. So against most women, she can simply just overpower and outmuscle them. There have been times where she's fought some of the best, more skilled tennis players in the world and she's had to display her skills and she has, you know, she's, she's arguably the best female tennis player ever. But a lot of what she accomplishes is based upon her freakish strength and size as a actual legitimate female. And kind of say the same thing with Clarissa Shields, except she's far less skilled in a sense, you know, in terms of boxing than Serena Williams is in tennis. Shields was simply just out muscling opponents, not stopping them. She, I don't think she has a stoppage yet, at least a knockdown kind of stoppage, a knockout stoppage, but um, just out muscling her, her opponents because she's so much naturally bigger than, than the girls she's fighting. Uh, but in this fight, you know, working with John David Jackson, who is a good trainer, you know, I wouldn't put him up there with the top 10 trainers in the world or anything, but he's a good, solid veteran trainer. And for somebody who really needs to improve on their skill set, he's a very good trainer. So I think he'll work very, very well with Shields. There's only, you know, a certain ceiling a guy like John David Jackson can take a fight or two, but Clarissa needs a lot of improvement on certain things. So she's going to get really good with him. She was punching with some snap, some good combinations. You know, she still makes a lot of mistakes, but she was doing uh, a lot of good boxing moves in there. Things that, you know, you could notice that were different from some previous fights. So I thought she put on the performance of the night, to be honest. I really thought Clarissa Shields on the HBO card put up the best performance, including the, the, the male fight between Juan Francisco Estrada who improved to 38 and three with 26 knockouts, stepped in for the injured Chocolatito, uh, scores a retirement win after seven rounds over Victor Mendez. These guys had sparred together. They're both from Sonora, Mexico, and they, uh, I think, fought on the same amateur team there for a while, knew each other really well, but you could see Mendez kind of looked like a sparring partner in there against Estrada. And this was kind of a going through the motions, make some money kind of thing for both guys. Uh, they weren't stepping up, you know. So I, honestly, all things considered, again, I think Shields had the performance of the night on an HBO card, which says a lot. But what really, really spoke to me was the crowd there in Los Angeles which is generally speaking crazy about boxing. It's the hottest boxing market in North America. I talk all the time about how it has the best gym scene and everything else, but I don't think there was a fighter from LA or Southern California on this card. You know, you had uh, female fighters from, Brekus is from Norway, Shields is from Michigan, uh, and then their fighters were from Europe, obscure European countries. I say obscure in regards to boxing scene, right? Not, not boxing hotbed type of countries. And then you had uh, two guys from Mexico, and, and, and Estrada has fought in Los Angeles and Southern California plenty, but people knew that that was a mismatch right away, uh, the Estrada-Mendez fight. So all things considered, man, the fight fans honestly did not give a shit about this card. They didn't care that it was the last HBO boxing broadcast. They didn't give a shit. There was no nostalgia. Oh, let me be there for the last HBO card. Maybe some fans don't believe HBO and they think they'll come back for a one-off here and there. But I think 
the real story is they wanted to stay home and watch ESPN. They wanted they wanted to see uh, Lomachenko, Dog Bay, and and Tiafimo Lopez live from New York. They didn't give a shit about seeing live boxing, you know, in front of them uh, at StubHub Center. So that says a lot because, man, I've covered a lot of events at StubHub Center that were, you know, kind of obscure, even um, untelevised cards and events that were at StubHub I've gone to where there were small but passionate crowds of like 3,000, you know, two, 3,000 that will fill up the lower bowl and stuff like that. And they still get loud and everything. There could not have been a thousand people at StubHub. And just think about this, guys. Think think of an HBO championship boxing broadcast in a major market. LA is one of the top dozen markets on earth. You know what I'm saying? It's one of it, it's one of it's one of two global American cities. It's LA and New York, right? You have an HBO championship boxing broadcast in Los Angeles on a Saturday night, prime time, and there's not even a thousand people in the crowd. So that tells you so much about where HBO boxing is at. It also tells you that, you know, these female fighters just not moving the needle. I think you're going to have to have a female super fight. You're going to have Breakus has to fight Shields to really move the needle for, for a female fight in America. It's just very symbolic and indicative of where HBO was. And it shows you that the fans, the fight fans, have moved on. And I think there was a little naivety in, in regards to the promotion, especially from HBO's perspective, that fans will show up because they're, they're going to want to be a part of the last HBO boxing card. Nope, fans didn't give a shit. So anyway, HBO boxing, I am so thankful for what they gave us. You know, it was emotional seeing uh, Larry Merchant on the broadcast. I did go back and watch it. You know, we all knew Jim Lampley was going to get choked up. But uh, Roy Jones Jr. got choked up. My man Steve Kim tweeted about that, that it was touching. And, and it was to see Roy, who doesn't get emotional, kind of get emotional. I mean, that, and then the little, you know, vignette at the end that showed all the memories or whatever. You know, I, I got a little choked up when I saw that because you just see all the memories and you think about all those fights that, you know, all those great memories over the years, the good, the bad, the ugly. And where you were watching that. So all those memories, you know, that you see, it kind of takes you back in your own personal life. Like, man, I, I was living here when that fight happened. I was going through this when that fight happened. You know, I was in this relationship or this job when that fight happened. You just start remembering all these things about your own personal life and how it relates to these great fights HBO gave us. And it was touching. But... The, the writing's been on the wall for a while, and when you see the reaction and who showed up to, to attend this fight live, you just see, man, everyone's moved on. Everyone's ready to, to put HBO to bed and move on. And me personally, you know, I'm a little disappointed, but not at all surprised that Max Kellerman's going to come over and call some of the ESPN fights now. If he replaces Mark Kriegel, I, I guess that's pretty good. I'm not a huge Mark Kriegel guy. But uh, Joe Tessitore and Tim Bradley are doing a good job at ESPN. So if he steps in as a third guy, okay. But I kind of just, the whole HBO thing, like I don't want to see Jim Lampley go anywhere else. It's weird enough seeing Michael Buffer on the zone. I just, you know, I, I want to keep those memories with those guys, that crew, Harold Letterman, all those guys. 
I want to keep that to HBO. I don't want them to go to one of these other platforms and muck it up. It's time for the new generation. It's t- I'm being ageist a little bit here. Fine. Hashtag triggered. But I want to see these new guys on these new platforms take things into the new era of boxing. And let's let go of HBO and cherish those memories and everything. But let that old crew stay there in our memories when they were in their prime. Their, their, their best has passed. The time has passed. Okay, Time to move on. All right. Going over to New York. Madison Square Garden, the theater. The theater was packed. The theater was packed hours before the HBO, or sorry, the ESPN network broadcast even started. The undercard fights were on ESPN Plus. And it's very, very rare to be, you know, watching a card, even if it's a small venue like the, the theater at MSG, which maybe holds, I don't know, a couple thousand fans or something, but to see not an empty seat in the place. During like the fifth, sixth undercard fight, you just don't see that in boxing. You can see that sometimes in MMA. You do not see it in boxing. So it showed you just the difference in the energy of what was going on in New York on ESPN and how that is trending upward. That's the future. That's where the energy, where the juice is right now. That's where the fans, the finger on the, of the pulse of the fans is there. And HBO was just dead, man. So it was exciting stuff in New York. And I love that the undercard fights were on ESPN Plus. So you could watch that. There was some entertaining cards or fights there. And then it bled right into the ESPN broadcast, which was a triple header. And in the first fight, Tiafimo Lopez improves to 11-0, nine knockouts, destroys Mace Menard with really the first flush right hand he landed and the broadcast said he landed on the chin he didn't it was more on the temple and i think that's why there was kind of this weird delayed reaction from menard as he went down if it had landed flush on the chin that's what puts you right to sleep and you go straight down menard kind of hunched over for a second and then went down and i think that's because there is some neurological stuff happening there which is when you get caught in the temple that's what happens Either way, man, great overhand shot from Lopez. That's a knockout of the year candidate. And I've been telling you guys, Lopez is the 2018 prospect of the year. He went pro pretty much exactly two years ago. I think it was November of 2016. So just over two years ago, right? Late 2016. 4-0 this year. And I think it was three knockouts this year uh, in his four fights. So he, he looks better with each fight, man. Uh, he's he's definitely building up some buzz, and um, some people are comparing uh, what he did with Mason Menard to what Devin Haney did with Mason Menard, because Devin Haney, you know, uh, Menard went rounds with Haney and had some some I guess you can call them moments in there, but guys, styles make fights, and you can't rate how. Uh, you know how, where you put a fighter at based upon you know two fighters how they fought against like opponents. You can't do that. Styles make fights. And I, I'll, I will say this. I mean, if we're comparing Tiafimo Lopez to Devin Haney, I think Devin Haney is a more all-around complete boxer and more defensively sound. But it's clear that Lopez is more explosive in the harder puncher. And speaking of Devin Haney, by the way, I just uh, f- sent Doug Fisher my, uh, my final... Uh, article that I'd written on Devin Haney that should be posted, if not the next issue of Ring, the one after that. 
depending on you know deadlines and space and everything like that. So over the next couple months, you guys will see uh, my piece on Devin Haney in Ring Magazine coming out. But anyway, Lopez, clearly prospect of the year, scores a highlight reel knockout that SportsCenter featured and was tweeting, it was trending, so good for him. And he's out of New York, so to do that there, that's big for him. And he's definitely going to start building a following there. In the co-main, great, great fight, upset special, Emmanuel Navarrete out of Mexico scores a unanimous decision over Isaac Dogbe, who's out of the UK originally from Ghana, but now out of the UK, takes his WBO 122-pound title. Dogbe took a real beating in this fight, man. If you look at how he looked in the post-fight interview and then how he looked before the fight, it looks like two different human beings. His eyes were swollen up, his cheeks, forehead, uh, his lips were bad. He took a sustained ass whooping in this fight from a younger, fresher, longer, taller, bigger, heavier guy. And I, I'm not so sure his corner made the right decision by keeping him in there to finish the fight. I get it. It's a moral victory. You're defending your title. But dude, after about the ninth or 10th round, you knew there was no way you were going to win this fight unless you scored a knockout. And it just wasn't going to come. It was not going to come at that point. So I, I don't know if they made the right call keeping him in there. My personal opinion, what we saw in this fight, I don't think Isaac Dogbay is ever going to be the same. I don't think he's ever going to hold another world title. I think he's going to fade out from here because that is just an absolute ass whooping he took in this fight. For Navarrete, who had came in kind of um, – as a question mark, because as I said last week during the preview portion of uh, TNC episode 150, when I was previewing this fight, I'm like, you just don't know about these guys coming out of Mexico sometimes. Sometimes the record's padded. Sometimes the record is, is tough as nails. And these guys have fought killers. They fought grown-ass men down there. You just don't know. But this guy had one loss in his six-pro fight. It was just a four-rounder. He lost on the cards. You don't know what to make from something like that, right? But he came into this fight uh, huge for this division, obviously. You saw the size difference. And Dog Bay is undersized for the division. Uh, Navarrete does a lot of things wrong. I mean, a guy with his length, boy, does he shorten his punches too much. He rarely gets full extension on his punches. What I mean by that, guys, is he, he loops a lot of punches with his elbows bent. He doesn't throw straight punches and get full leverage. And because of that, I really think that's why he didn't get a stoppage here. Had he taken a step or two back and landed straight one-twos, getting full length and extension and turning over on his right hand, he would have knocked Dogbay out in six or seven rounds. You could see the writing on the wall very, very uh, early in this fight. Dogbay kind of made a stand in the middle rounds, but, but after that last stand, it was all Navarrete. And maybe not six or seven, but maybe seven, eight, nine rounds, somewhere around there, Navarrete really could have knocked him out. I'm talking one punch knockout if he would properly throw a punch. So he makes a lot of mistakes, but because of his activity, he showed a pretty good chin in this fight. Um, he's going to be trouble for anyone in that division. And that division is wide open right now. So uh, he's got a title right now, and let's see what he does with it. But there's definitely some things he can improve on, but he's a tough night at the office for anybody in and around that weight class, super bantamweight. Okay, main event. Vasily Lomachenko drops 
uh, Jose Pedraza twice in the 11th round, really dominated the championship rounds, uh, scores a unanimous decision win, unifies the WBA and WBO lightweight titles, scores were 117-109 twice, one judge had at 119-107, and uh, some of you guys on Twitter were saying that, that those scores were too wide. No, they weren't. Those were the right scores. I thought they were right in the wheelhouse. I thought you could give Pedraza two rounds in this fight. I scored it 10 rounds to two uh, for Lomachenko, and if you had anything close to that, you scored this fight correctly. Pedraza did some good things in there in the sense that he looked like he belonged, and he did. And I told you guys that going in. And by the way, I was telling you all week that this was going the distance and you guys thought I was crazy. And here it goes. It went the distance. And I also told you guys when it did go the distance or that it at least would go late into the fight that um, a lot of people on social media would be saying Loma looked like shit. Loma's overrated. Gervonta Davis took him out. Loma couldn't. Yada, yada, yada. All typical. All very, very typical and predictable. So I'll talk more about that in a second here. But in the actual fight, Pedraza, who I told you guys could switch hit, righty-lefty, tall, long fighter, a little longer than Jorge Linares, who gave Lomachenko issues, fights longer and, and, and stays behind his length better than Linares does, a more defensively sound fighter than Jorge Linares. The only thing Linares really does better than Pedraza is punches harder. But Jose Pedraza pretty much does everything else better than, than uh, Jorge Linares. He really, really does. Head-to-head, -head, if these two fought right now, I would pick Pedraza to win a decision over Jorge Linares unless Linares could catch him and knock him out. That would be my bet on that fight. But so just in terms of the, uh, the styles and the body styles, the fighting styles, the, the mentalities of these two fighters... It, you could see all along, anybody with any real boxing knowledge who's been in there and knows a thing or two uh, could tell you that this fight was going rounds. This was not going to be a four or five round blowout like a lot of people uh, in uh, like the YouTube universe were calling for. It just what it, it wasn't going to be that. And you could see it right away, especially with the fact that Lomachenko was coming off surgery for his right shoulder. Now, a lot of you guys were asking, Man, why isn't Lomachenko throwing the right hook? Why isn't he throwing uppercuts? Part of it, yeah, maybe it's because he wanted to ease into it. He didn't want to rush that because he was coming off surgery. But I think a bigger reason is because Pedraza took those punches away. Pedraza mentioned coming into the fight that he felt Lomachenko's best weapon was the little short uppercut he throws kind of to the chest. So that when guys try to duck and spin and roll, it ends up landing to the chin a lot of times later in fights. And he was looking for that the whole way. You could see the way Pedraza was moving, where he was placing his feet, his head, uh, the way he was turning his body. He was looking for uppercuts and hooks. He wasn't worried about the straight left from Lomachenko. And quite frankly, that's why that punch landed so much. Because the hook was taken away from Loma early. The, uh, the uppercuts were taken away. So what, what did Loma do? He worked behind the jab. He threw straight left hands right down the pike, landed them, and then he started to get some body work done. And then guess what? Later in the fight, the uppercuts were there. The hooks were there. He started to land them. He dropped Pedraza twice in the 11th round using those punches. Guys, this shit ain't rocket science. It's all right there. So, so 
those of you saying that Loma had a bad night, that he looked like shit, that he was tentative, he didn't want to throw the right hook or the uppercuts, the punches were taken away from him. So he took what was there. He took what was there and systematically broke down a world-class fighter who is vastly underrated. Now let's talk about the Gervonta Davis fight. Gervonta Davis dominated and blew out Pedraza. Yes, it's true. However, some nuance here. My favorite word. That fight was at 130 pounds. Pedraza was drained at that weight. Right after that fight, he moved up to 135. He's looked much better. His legs have looked much steadier. Those five extra pounds have helped him. Compare it to Jorge Linares, who had some knockout losses earlier in his career. He moved up in weight. He has looked much better at 135 than he ever looked in the lower weight classes. So sometimes these guys... Uh, Kel Brook, I talked about him earlier, how he was busting at the seams at 47, and I think he was always a natural 54. Some of these guys kill themselves to fight in divisions that simply, uh, I, I think it hurts their bodies. Pedraza is a good, solid, lightweight. As it stands, he's probably the second or third best lightweight in the world right now because Mikey Garcia is not fighting at lightweight. So for... Lomachenko to control him and dominate this fight against him, to dominate Jorge Linares, who was the top lightweight in the world, and then do this to Pedraza, who is no less third or fourth best in the world in his two lightweight fights. Guys, that's freaking impressive. That's pound for pound shit. And just because of the styles and the way it looks, I think some of you are overly critical. And for whatever reason... Lomachenko just gets a lot of hate from people and that kind of happens naturally as a fighter moves up the ranking rankings and starts to become a star like I get that but this guy just seems to bring out the worst in some people and they illogically hate on him Lomachenko has 13 professional fights he went pro five years ago he went pro in late 2013 so he has been fighting as a pro for five years 13 fights he has fought Orlando Salido, Gary Russell Jr., Roman Martinez, Nicholas Walters, Guillermo Rigondeaux, Jorge Linares, and now Jose Pedraza. The combined record of his 13 pro opponents, get ready for this, 377, 31, and 13. As a pro, he has never fought anybody with a losing record. You can't say the same when you're talking about Oscar De La Hoya, Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, Vladimir Klitschko, Bernard Hopkins, and a bunch of other all-time greats. They fought guys with losing records coming up. Loma never has. Looking at the punch numbers of this fight with Pedraza, it was a domination. Loma outlanded Pedraza in all 12 rounds. Pedraza threw more, threw I think like 200 more punches total. Lomachenko landed more in all 12 rounds. He outlanded Pedraza 74 to 12 in the final two rounds. Overall punch numbers, Lomachenko 240 of 738. Pedraza 111 of 931. Lomachenko lands 32% of his punches, Pedraza 12%. You take a former Olympian, two weight division world titleists, that level of skill set coming in a world-class fighter and you make him land 12% of his punches and you outland him in every round and you dominate him in the championship rounds, drop him twice. Guys, that is a hell of a performance and I think some of you are really sleeping on it. Seriously. 
appreciate what you're getting with Vasily Lomachenko right now. It's not going to last that long, okay? That's enough for the review. Let's preview what we got coming up this week. Friday, December 14th at the American Bank Center in Corpus Christi, Texas. Top-ranked boxing is back on ESPN+. This is on the app, and this fight alone is worth your $5 fee this month. Okay, Gilberto Ramirez, 38-0, rematching Jesse Hart, 25-1. Ramirez and his WBO super middleweight title is on the line. These two fought last September. Uh, Zerto dropped Hart in the second round, and it looked like Hart might be on his way out. But he came back with a vengeance, finished the fight strong, uh, visibly bothered and buzzed Ramirez a couple times. Zerto is 2-0 since, but hasn't looked spectacular. Hasn't fought the best opposition. Hart is 3-0 with three knockouts since. Now, he hasn't fought the best opposition either, but he's dominated and gotten his fighters out of there. So uh, the trajectory, now, Hart, it looks like Hart's tr trending up and Ramirez is kind of flatlined, but we, we won't know until they fight. Okay, and with, if Gilberto Ramirez really is this elite level, top super middleweight that everyone thinks he is, he should show improvement in this rematch. Earlier in this episode, I talked about Ronald Gavril fighting David Benavidez. And you saw, you know, Gavril fought, it could have been a draw at first fight with Benavidez. But in the rematch, Benavidez made adjustments and he, he clearly won that rematch. That's what we should see from Zerto in this fight if he is who we think he is. Now, Hart and his people have said that, uh, you know, they were kind of boxing part-time before and working other jobs and doing, and now they're boxing full-time. They've dedicated themselves to the sport in a whole new way. They're doing new things in camp, and they've improved. If that's true, maybe Hart can pull this off. My gut instinct tells me that we're in for another good fight, but that Zerto Ramirez is going to show us something he hasn't shown us before. Call me crazy. But that's what I think we'll see here, and he should win a decision victory. But if Hart comes through here and scores the upset, grabs the title, I think that's a great thing for American boxing, but especially for Philly boxing. This guy's out of Philly, and Philly boxing hasn't had much to cheer about lately. That would be a big, big deal for Philadelphia boxing, which... You know, going back throughout history, Philly has had some great fighters. Haven't had much to cheer about lately. So I'm really looking forward to that fight, man. I don't sleep on that one, guys. If you don't have the ESPN Plus app, order it right now. Pay your $5 just to watch that damn fight. If you want to cancel it in January, cool. But I'm telling you, that fight is worth $5. Think about it as a $5 pay-per-view. All right? Now, Saturday, December 15th, we got some action in the UK at the Brentwood Center in Brentwood. There's a Frank Warren card that is going to be, of course, on BT Sport over there. Here in America, that will be on ESPN Plus as well. I'm telling you guys, pay the five bucks. Daniel Dubois, undefeated, six foot five heavyweight, taking on the biggest opposition he's fought so far, Razvan Kojanu, who is a six foot seven. I think he's out of Romania uh, originally, but now he, I think, fights out of Southern California. And he's been in there with some top. Heavyweights. He's always come up short. He's been stopped. You know, sometimes he's gone around. Sometimes he's been stopped. But he's been in there with some of the better fighters in the heavyweight division. Let's see how Dubois looks against him. He's going to be fighting a very experienced opponent and a guy who's physically taller and longer. 
Also, Kiev, Ukraine, Artem Dalakian, the flyweight titleist. He's 17-0. He's out of Ukraine. He is going to be defending that flyweight title that he won against Brian Valoria at Superfly 2 early this February. I think back, look, this year, I, talk, I feel like I talk about this every week. This year has been a crazy year for me. It's been very, very long, and I've accomplished a lot, and there's, it's just had a lot of changes for me. But to think that Superfly 2 was this year, that was in February. Holy shit. I feel like Superfly 2 was like a year or two years ago. It's crazy. But anyway, uh, Delakian, who won the upset when he beat Valoria on that card to take his flyweight title, he's defending it, I believe, for the second time in Kiev, Ukraine. So here in America, back at MSG, look, man, New York, what a boxing comeback New York and Atlantic City have made in 2018. I still say LA's running the game, but they have definitely made a comeback this year, especially later in the year, man. Uh, MSG, and this is not at the theater, this is actually in the arena, Madison Square Garden Arena, Matchroom and Golden Boy Promotions, uh, combining forces on a card. This will be on DAZN, and this will be the DAZN premiere of one Saul Canelo Alvarez, and also his premiere at the full super middleweight limit. Alvarez is challenging Rocky Fielding for his WBA title. Uh, that really, let's be honest, I mean, is Fielding really a champion at super middleweight? No. This is a piece of the WBA title which gets whacked up 40 different ways in each division. This is a way for Alvarez and Golden Boy and the zone, quite frankly, to prop up Canelo as a three-division world titleist. But is Fielding a top 10 super middleweight? I don't know. I guess we'll find out in this fight if he's a top 10. We know sure as hell he's not a top five. But I'm looking at this card, top to bottom, and I got to say, this card is better than any Canelo Alvarez pay-per-view ever. And you're getting this for $10. The zone costs $9.99 a month here in the States. So look, you guys might want to pony up to 10 bucks. This, this card has a lot on it. Other than the main event, okay, you've got uh, Tevin Farmer defending his 130-pound title. Katie Taylor defending her unified lightweight titles. And Katie Taylor might be the best female fighter in the world right now. I look at her skill set and everything else, and, you know, in a pound-for-pound pound sense, she's better than Breakus, in my opinion. She's light years better than Shields. Breakus obviously is the pound-for-pound pound best female fighter right now because of her accomplishments. But Katie Taylor might be the best female fighter in the world. So if you're on that, that train, that female boxing you know, thing, and let's, let's get it back and let's make it bigger and better than ever, you probably got the best female fighter defending her unified titles on this card. David Lemieux versus Toriano Johnson. That is an interesting middleweight fight. And the winner of that fight could be in the Canelo sweepstakes. Okay, Golden Boy Promotions has been trying to line up David Lemieux for Canelo for a while now. Should he be successful against Toriano Johnson? I think we all know who Canelo is going to fight next. Uh, so that's an interesting fight with, with some actual, you know, there's going to be repercussions depending on what happens there. Saddam Ali versus Mauricio Herrera at 147. Man, that's an interesting fight. Ali did not belong at 154 pounds. We found that out against Jaime Munguia, but he's a good, solid, might be a top 10 welterweight. You know, uh, he scored big wins in that weight class. 
and that's his natural weight. Herrera is going to be, you know, outsized at 147, but Herrera is a tough night out for anybody. And I, I'm interested in that fight, man. Also, Golden Boy Promotion Prospects, Lamont Roach, he's a 130-pound prospect. Ryan Garcia, another 130-pound prospect. Those two, should they win? Maybe they fight next year. Virgil Ortiz Jr., must-see TV. He's a 140-pound prospect. So all things considered, you're getting this for $10 on the zone. And those of you who are Canelo fans, you've been paying $80 or more to see him fighting on pay-per-view in recent years. I don't love this main event. I get, you know, I understand what it is. But all things considered, man, that's a pretty damn good value, guys. Also, for those of you attending this fight, be sure to check out the fight program. Yours truly uh, wrote a piece in the Canelo Fielding fight program. So check that out and let me know what you think. That is a career first for me to write in the fight program for a major event. So um, patting myself on the back right now. Uh, that's another thing I can check off the uh, boxing world checklist for myself. But anyway, looking at the actual main event, let's chop it up a little bit. Fielding has one loss on his resume to Callum Smith. A TKO one loss was completely blown out in 2015. Callum Smith is the real, I think he holds the WBA super or whatever the hell it is. He's the real titleist right there in that weight class, along with uh, with Zerto Ramirez, right? Uh, Benavidez um, has some issues going on right now. So uh, Smith is the guy, you know, won the World Boxing Super Series. He's the guy right now at super middleweight. And he blew out Fielding in a round. Styles make fights. It's been three years. We can forgive that. But Fielding won his title in Germany against Tyron Zuge in July. No other fighters of note on his resume. Zuge, maybe he's a lower top 10 super middleweight. And then Callum Smith. Those are the two notable names on his resume. He went one and one against them. So obviously he is making a quantum leap in opposition here against Canelo, who is one of the top five pound-for-pound fighters in the world. Some people consider him number one. I don't, but I have him number three right now, maybe number four, right in and around you know, that area. He's one of the best fighters in the world. Canelo is much shorter, but he's three years younger. Um, he hits harder. I think not pound-for-pound, pound, I think he hits harder than fielding physically at 168. And I think he's going to prove it in this fight. He's going to be, you know, this heaviest weight here ever. I don't know if he comes in at a full 168. I think it'd be smart for them to come in like around 165, 166. We'll see. But he simply just needs to go to the body early and often. Get inside of Fielding's punches. It won't be hard to do. Uh, Canelo has very underrated defensive ability. His feet don't move fast, but they move effectively and fundamentally uh, very sound. So get inside of Fielding's punches, work the body, and then as Fielding starts to lower the guard in the middle rounds, start looping those punches over the top of the guard. So you can see a lot of looping uh, left hooks, looping right hands, kind of the, kind of like the shot we saw Teofimo Lopez land on Mason Menard, except those two guys were the same height. So he's going to be punching up. Because Canelo's punching up, here's where, again, some of you are going to think I'm crazy. Just like if I was crazy when I said Pedraza was going to take Loma rounds. Don't be surprised if Fielding takes Canelo rounds. 
I wouldn't even be shocked to see this thing go the distance. But all things considered, I, I just with, with the step up in opposition and class, you got to favor Canelo by mid to late round stoppage here. I wouldn't be shocked if he lands a, a looping right hand and drops him in the third, fourth round either. But I just think because of the size difference and everything else, and just because of the mentality, Canelo's not a guy to just go in there gunning for a knockout early. He likes to set shit up, even against Amir Khan. He lost a couple rounds in that fight setting shit up, right? So, and he was punching down at Amir Khan. He's going to be punching up at fielding. So I think it's absolutely going to go past the midway point. I think it's going to go more than six rounds. And some of you, again, might think I'm a lunatic for saying that, but that's what's going to happen here. Obviously, I like Canelo huge in this fight. I don't think fielding really has any chance to win. Canelo wins this fight. He wins a super middleweight title. Is he going to stay in that weight class and fight some of those killers? I don't think so. I think he's going to go right back down to uh, to middleweight and defend those titles. It's not out of the realm of possibility that they ask David Lemieux to move up to 168 and Canelo defends the super middleweight title against Lemieux early next year, then moves back down to middleweight. That's not out of the realm of possibility, but I don't think so. I think he's going to win this title, dump it, Go right back down to 160 where all the big money is. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Episode 151 in the books. Uh, man, end of the year is coming. So we got a couple more weeks of TNC, and then we're probably going to take a two-week hiatus for the holidays. All right? But uh, until then, I'll see you at the fights. 